Episode 4, The Truth is Out There. For nine seasons that spanned almost nine years, I was a faithful consumer of the television series, The X-Files. Yeah, I'll admit it, I used to geek out every Saturday night watching FBI agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully dig into unexplainable case files of the odd, strange, horrific, and alien kind. I love the show. Its weekly tagline uh, was, The Truth is Out There. Of all the clarion calls to the wilderness, this one must be among the most famous and definitely one of my favorites. Because, you know, truth often wanders alone and isolated, orphaned by the people who are entrusted to protect it and nurture it. After all, we human beings are creatures of habit and comfort, and the truth rarely makes anyone comfortable, which is why it's so hard to make a habit of it. As I've spent time in the wilderness digging for this buried treasure, I've learned that people who love and choose to live according to the truth are very rare indeed. It's just much easier to live according to opinion, tradition, and peer pressure. As I look at the scriptures, there are many characters and types to choose from when it comes to defenders of the truth, but none of them intrigue me quite as much as those lonely few who carry the burden of the truth on their shoulders. They walk alone, mostly, and they live lives of sacrifice and sometimes even sorrow. They are, to me anyway, the biblical equivalents of Agents Mulder and Scully. They are the prophets and the judges of God. Abraham, Moses, Samson, Gideon, Elijah, Esther, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, and the ultimate, even Jesus himself. These are the ones who are selected and sent to recount and hopefully untangle the wickedness of a generation or even generations. And I know that word wickedness, it's kind of an outdated word. But I can't think of a better word to describe what happens over time to people who ignore and manipulate the truth. They indeed become wicked. And not in the evil, malevolent sort of way, but in the bended and twisted sort of way. And to understand this, I I want you to consider this object lesson, wicker furniture. Wicker furniture is made by taking pliable pieces of cane and rattan and then bending and weaving them together. Gifted weavers are able to create both useful and artful pieces that are, well, surprisingly resilient. It's estimated that wicker furniture dates back over 5,000 years. It's one of the oldest furniture techniques in recorded history. The word wicker comes from the Scandinavian words wicca and vicar. Put together, they literally mean bend the willow. And I share this history lesson because I believe it relevant to those of us who seek the truth. We should never, ever underestimate our ability to bend and shape and fashion the truth into our own artful and useful forms. It's critical to understand that while forging into the wilderness, the truth that is out there won't comply with our predetermined and desired shapes. It doesn't mean that there's no absolute and objective truth to be found. That type of truth is all around in the wilderness. But it's how we choose to see it And it's what we choose to do with it that causes most of the fuss and problem. You see, in its natural state, 
the, the material contained in a stylish piece of wicker furniture look nothing like it in its wilderness existence. It required a master weaver to transform it into its creative shape. And there would be many who would congregate around it, sit on it, enjoy conversation and company, and genuinely believe that it's better off in its unnatural state than in its natural state. And there's a lot of pragmatic and practical advantage to this viewpoint. I mean, this mindset is quite appropriate if you're talking about making wicker furniture. It's a bit more dangerous when encountering wild and untamed truth. There's a story in the Old Testament that I think will help illustrate what I'm talking about. It's a story in Exodus 32 about the golden calf. I'm not going to take the time to read the entire passage, though I do recommend taking the time on your own. The essence of this story is that Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness on their trek towards a land of promise and potential. Now, to say that there were a few bumps along the way would be gracious. It was more like betrayal, rebellion, and treachery. At the time this story takes place, the people had recently affirmed their covenant as God's people. In Exodus 24, the following words were said by the children of Israel. Exodus 24, verse 3, Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord, all the words of the Lord, and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. You know, it only took a few chapters for this promise to fall completely apart. Which is the way of wickedness. I mean, evil and malevolence are, by nature, active forces that kill, steal, and destroy. They don't need a lot of runway to work with. They accomplish their goals pretty quickly and constantly. Wickedness is usually the result of the despicable work of evil and malevolence. It doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. I think that's what uh, the message is in the Broadway play Wicked. None of us start out wicked. We succumb to it through the twists and turns, the actions and the reactions to the collateral damage during our own journey in life. The same thing happened to the children of Israel. They start with such promise, but they quickly struggle. They stumble and fall into the abyss of complaint, despair, and unfairness. The wilderness wasn't all it's cracked up to be. Freedom isn't all it's cracked up to be. Pharaoh may make you work as a slave, but at least he has bread. At least he had shelter. And the deeper concern, at least we know what will happen tomorrow. Yep, wickedness causes us to seek the comfort, even of our own bondage. And once this sad cycle begins, we can hardly help ourselves. We begin to look for something, anything to do about our need to feel safe and protected our need for constancy. We really should be called human doings rather than human beings. So just like the children of Israel feeling betrayed and abandoned by Moses in the wilderness, we look for and we find someone, anyone who can fashion and weave a new way, a new path, and a new God that will give us the relief and comfort that we're certain we deserve. And this is the rich breeding ground for wickedness. The feeling that we deserve or that we've earned a better or easier path or journey. 
that because of the setbacks and obstacles, we are owed an explanation and a different outcome. Not satisfied with the circumstance provided by the truth of our situation, we demand a new God be ordered up, a God that can be counted on. This is where the people of Israel found themselves in Exodus 32, and they turned to Aaron as their provider. In turn, Aaron does something a bit odd, perhaps to buy some time until Moses could get back to camp. Aaron asked the people to bring golden earrings that were worn by the wives and children of the men who were arranging for this new variation of leadership. Now, there's quite a bit of speculation about the question, why did Aaron choose earrings? And I've already mentioned the time issue. Aaron could have been stalling for time until Moses returned and inserted himself back into the situation and hopefully fixed it. After all, it would take quite some time to collect the earrings from the wives and children in the camp. Aaron may have thought that they would get uh, go about this task and lose interest in the whole thing altogether. But I want to consider an alternative idea, an idea that I kind of am still working out myself, but I think is deeply interesting about ears, earrings, and hearing. I think this is pretty relevant. I've already mentioned in chapter 24 that the children of Israel had affirmed their commitment to the covenant of God, that they said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In other words, the children of Israel basically looked at God and said, we hear you and we're on board with you, big guy. But it's clear that they really only heard what they wanted to hear. Their inability and unwillingness to use their ears to listen and hear the deep truth in their hearts leads to the golden adornment of their ears becoming the raw material necessary to make their new God. Coincidence? I don't think so. It turns out it takes many ears and earrings to make a golden calf which is an interesting thing to consider when you listen to the following New Testament verses. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? I think it's important to realize that what we see and hear can become building blocks for a truth that we create for our own comfort and relief. All we have to do is convince ourselves that we deserve better, and voila, out pops another golden calf. Humanity has yet to stop this madness. We've created many, many golden calves over the centuries. Things that we think for certain are truth, things that we live out as our own truth, but they are far, far removed from wilderness truth, from the buried treasure that we seek. Which brings me back to the television show, The X-Files. I believe that the truth is out there. I've heard it and seen it. I continue to look and listen closely for it. But the one thing I can't do, the one thing I refuse to do, is bend it, weave it, and fashion it into my own golden calf, which is sadly what I think has happened to the deep spiritual truth of our faith. It's been bent and woven and shaped into things that make us feel good about who we are. 
But that's really not the message of truth. That's not the message of the cross of Christ. Jesus looks at us and he says, you're not okay the way you are. Your own truth, the truth that you fashioned for yourself, isn't good enough. It can never be good enough. So if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to deny your truth. Take up your own cross, that cross that's going to cause us discomfort and suffering and pain, and follow me. The way isn't always clear, but the way is always before us. It's important for us to take up this cross of truth every day and follow Jesus. Whoever has ears to hear, I pray that you'll hear this message. And I thank you once again for listening to Enlabero.